to the Australian Rotary Health Podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper and on episode 38, we will be having a chat to Dr. Monique Robinson from the Telethon Kids Institute. Monique was awarded a Colin Dodds postdoctoral fellowship from Australian Rotary Health for her project called Early Life Influences on Child and Adolescent Mental Health Problems, a life course approach to prevention and intervention. This research was conducted at the University of Western Australia in 2011 to 2013. Dr. Monique Robinson is currently an NHMRC Early Career Fellow at the Telethon Kids Institute and a registered psychologist working in the field of perinatal child and adolescent mental health. Monique's primary research focus has been on the relationships between parents and children and in particular how maternal stress and other lifestyle factors impact child and adolescent mental health. So thank you very much, Monique, for joining me on the podcast today. How, how's everything been going for you lately? No, really great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, yeah, it's great to have you on. I know it has been about eight years now um, since you completed your Australian Rotary Health Postdoctoral Fellowship, and I can see that perinatal child and adolescent mental health is still an area of interest for you now. Uh, I guess to start off, do you want to explain why targeting mental health um, during such a young age is so important? Yeah, well, it's, I guess, the main um, area that I've been concentrated on is prevention of mental health problems. So for many reasons, we'd much prefer that mental health problems never got a chance to develop rather than having to treat them once they have um, been there. And that's that's for a lot of reasons. That's the amount of distress that are caused by um, mental health problems for families um, and also for society and resources. Um, you know, our, our systems are struggling to support the treatment of mental health problems. And so prevention in mental health um, really becomes very important. And for my work, we wanted to take that prevention way back to um, pregnancy and the families in during the pregnancy to try and look at the factors in the child's environment that might make them more vulnerable to mental health problems later on and see if there was anything that we could target early um, so that we could set these children on, on this path to a happier, healthier childhood. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, very important to get in there early and yeah, try and stop it from happening later because I guess it, it is much harder to treat mental health problems than to inter intervene. Yeah, that's right. And also that mental health problems can compound over time as well. So something that might start as a fairly minor um, issue early in childhood can then that things get built upon and, and some of those behaviours start to become ingrained and start to become patterns um, and, and snowball for later on. So it's really important no matter what stage that the the child is at to try and always be looking at prevention to stop things progressing. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, in your postdoctoral fellowship, you, you looked at the early life influences on mental health problems. I guess what kind of um, factors did you explore during this project? So one of my big uh, areas has been maternal stress during pregnancy and looking at how um, not just stress, but also other aspects of the mother's mental health. So anxiety and depression um, can impact upon 
um, the child. And, and because we're looking at pregnancy, we're not just interested in how that might affect, say, um, the mother's parenting or her ability to kind of um, cope and, and, and help with and her own children, but also um, to look at what biological influences there might be from stress. So we know that stress actually has quite an intense physical um, impact on the body. And all of us, when we've been stressed, know that we might be more vulnerable, say, to getting sick when we're stressed or, um, because in general, we know that stress really has this sort of, even though it might be seen as more of a psychological phenomenon, it has quite an effect on our physical health. So we wanted to see how that impacts during pregnancy. So not only would it affect the mother's physical health during pregnancy, but could it perhaps also um, impact the developing fetus as well? And what we found with that is that, yes, unfortunately, um, stress does have um, an influence. The more sort of stress hormones that we've got running through our body while we're pregnant, the more likely it is to impact impact that um, developing child's stress response system themselves. Also, um, stress during pregnancy has been linked to preterm birth. So that then has a whole cascade of events following um, on from that. So stress has been one of the main things. Um, but then also the aim of my research was to get a picture of all the different things that might um, be there in early life. So not just pregnancy, but also the sort of those very early moments of, um, of early life in the first year that could then impact mental health problems. And we kind of, from my PhD, we had an idea of things like smoking and more lifestyle factors, drinking alcohol, um, exercise, but we looked a bit more in the postdoc as to things like hypertensive diseases during pregnancy. So looking at how um, hypertension, um, maternal weight gain during pregnancy, um, other aspects of the mother's physical health, um, we looked at things like cord blood testosterone to see whether that impacted behaviour later on, uh, asthma and allergy. So we really um, spread the net fairly wide to try and capture that picture of early life and, and risk. Yeah, it sounds like yes. you um, yeah, explored a lot of different areas um, in, in relation to pregnancy and how that affects child mental health. I guess what were some of the key findings that, that came out of this study? Um, well, we, we actually, well, well, I say we, but um, me with my, my colleagues, we did publish quite a lot during that time because we have this really rich data set here in WA, um, the RAIN study, um, which is a prospective pregnancy cohort. So it's um, families that were enrolled when they were just newly pregnant here in WA in 1989. Um, and then those uh, pregnancies were recruited over three years. And we've been following up those children, those babies from that study who are now um, age 30 and having children themselves. So we have all this huge amount of data over time, which we can look at, say, outcomes at any age. And in my area, we're just looking at childhood, but we can trace that back to the pregnancy and we have all the obstetric data and all the information about the families during that time that we've got this really unique opportunity to be able to explore what these early influences on mental health are. Um, and so we found, I mean, there's basically, we were looking for risk and sometimes that's kind of um, a difficult picture to sell because we don't wanna make people more worried and more stressed during pregnancy. It's already a time of uh, a lot of upheaval and it's a very positive time, but it's also a time where there's lots of fears. So um, we were looking a lot on the sorts of, I guess, more positive messages that we could give, like maintaining a healthy weight as opposed to the risks of being overweight. Um, you know, the benefits of, um, you know, having more social support during pregnancy as opposed to, 
the problems that'll be caused when you're too stressed. So um, it's been a bit of a balance all the way through to get our messaging right so that we're not just adding to the burden. Um, but we did find a lot of um, areas within pregnancy, such as, again, maintaining a healthy weight during pregnancy, um, making sure that we can support women who are stressed, um, reducing some of the lifestyle risk factors during pregnancy in order to um, hopefully prevent mental health problems later down the track for their children. Yeah, I like the way that you've kind of, yeah, spun that in a positive kind of way rather than, you know, being all doom and gloom and, you know, this is what could go wrong. Yeah, and it's, it's such a delicate balance because we don't want to be too gentle, I guess. There are certain things that we really want to get the message that some of these things are dangerous. Now, we know a lot about smoking and drinking alcohol during pregnancy um, being dangerous for the fetus. And there's a lot of messaging around that. And I think, you know, in general smoking, not just during pregnancy, but anytime we have really um, had a well-honed public health message that that's not good. Um, but things like stress, I think, are seen as very unavoidable. And almost um, being busy and being stressed is kind of almost like a... Um, not a badge of honour, but it's sort of, it's just part of our daily life. We just build it into our daily sort of narratives. Like I'm very busy, I'm doing a lot, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and especially um, mothers. Um, so I think to try and talk about reducing stress and managing stress, a lot of people say, well, I just can't. I, I've got to work or I've got to do this or this is how it is. Um, whereas actually managing it and being able to cope with that level of stress is so important. And so I think... Um, again, that messaging becomes really vital. Why, why do we not try and address stress in our lives? Is it because it's just so inherent in our, in our current modern world? Um, uh, but in actual fact, it's, it's really not good during pregnancy. And this idea that women can do it all and be everything um, to their other kids and also be pregnant, um, I think puts these really unrealistic expectations on us. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like um, from that data that, that you were working with on your um, postdoctoral fellowship, it sounds like you're still working with that now. Like what kind of research are you yeah. doing now? Yeah. Yeah. So we've sort of built on it. What was fantastic about my um, Colin Dodds postdoctoral fellowship was that that allowed me to just work for two years steady on publishing so I had all this sort of um, expertise and information from my PhD, um, but I wasn't yet at that point of being able to um, apply for a NHMRC fellowship with any guarantee of success. But because I had the Colin Dodds postdoctoral fellowship to support me for that two years in between, to just write up everything that we had and, um, and really work so hard on publishing, I then had so much of a better CV to go to the NHMRC with that I ended up ranked highly competitive in all of the different um, areas of my fellowship application because I'd had two years dedicated time to get to that position. And so I think that's where the Australian Rotary Health Fellowships are just so important. It's that bridging between, you're not quite necessarily competitive enough at the end of your PhD, um, but if you just had that little bit more time to publish and to get things up and running, then you can really show what you can do for that next level of funding. So for me, um, that was this really vital period where I worked so hard. Um, but yeah, it was totally worth it in terms of setting up where I'm going now. So I'm almost at the end of my NHMRC fellowship now. Um, 
and I'm currently part-time because I've had a couple of kids in, in between there. But I, um, yeah, hopefully we'll just continue in this area, continue, we're working in some new projects and some new areas, but all centred on early intervention for mental health. So it's still something that I feel really passionate about. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it definitely sounds like there's a lot of different, um, you know, paths that you can take in this area, um, which, yeah, it's great. Um, I, yeah. I know, um, I guess, you know, going from like all the all the research that you have done in this area so far, um, do you have any findings that, that might be able to, I guess, potentially prevent mental health problems in young people? Look, it's kind of one of those um, areas where I wish that we had some kind of magic message that if you do this, you won't get a mental health problem. What we know about mental health, it's so multifactorial. And so really um, what we're trying to do, what we really wanted to do at the end of this was to understand what interventions are possible on a really practical translation level um, and what's been done before. And it has become, we're, we're still working on those sorts of um, topics and issues, but it is something that I guess is not easily solved. So while we're still kind of continuing along that path that we hope um, to sort of have more of a, an easy basic answer, um, I think at, at this stage, it's still that grassroots, like really trying to work with families um, and support women in those early stages, not just women, but their families as well. A lot of my stuff work um, because it is looking at pregnancy, is looking at um, mothers. But the fathers are extremely important. We're starting some new research projects that bring the fathers into um, the mental health conversation around pregnancy as well. It's, we find a lot of young families are at that point where the fathers are also trying to build their career and also trying to establish themselves. And um, that it, the, the time that we're having children in our lives is a time of great sort of stress and building for everybody. Um, so it'd be really nice to just start looking at some of the, the outcomes for dads there as well. Um, and yeah, look, hopefully just to get a few more clear answers on easy public health interventions for, um, for early mental health would be fantastic. Yeah. still the dream <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds like there's yeah really a lot to kind of unpack there but yeah it sounds like you're making some progress which is yeah yeah good. yeah yeah and I think we're getting the message out we do a lot of outreach and we try and sort of talk about this the generally the um pregnancy and mental health space has become a lot bigger in the time that I've been working in this area than it was before. So I don't think we really understood before how vital um, perinatal mental health was for later outcomes. We understood postnatal depression was not a, not a good thing, but we didn't really understand how that linked with the children. And I think it's been a bit of a, a silo um, issue in research where we've had um, people working in with the mothers and then we've had people working with the children, but some area, which is where I work, um, breaching the two and bringing them together is um, really important. So um, you said before that you, you kind of, you know, try and get that message out to, to parents. So has your data specifically informed um, campaigns, um, you know, for, for parenting? And yeah, we, worked at, we work at Telethon Kids Institute. Um, we have an Embrace program here, which is linked with a lot of community groups. And so um, that's how we get a lot of the information out through our networks and um, areas. I've done a lot of talks. I probably do like three or four talks a year to the different um, community groups um, involved in, young, in either pregnancy and young children's mental health. 
Um, again, it's just how we message, you know, present those messages sometimes. Sometimes when we have papers published, if it goes directly to the media, it, the messaging can be um, not always in the most positive light, more phrased in terms of risk. So we're quite, I guess, protective about how we put out the information that we've got into the, the world. But for me, I don't really care that much about my research being in journals on a shelf somewhere in someone's um, dusty office. I care a lot more about the fact that um, if people understand and they know, and it can make, say, one mother more aware of the fact that she's feeling very overwhelmed and what to do about it, then that to me, who knows where her child may have gone from, you know, that stressed pregnancy or, or that pregnancy that was compromised by risk. We will never know whether they would have gone down a path of mental health problems necessarily um, or not on an individual basis, but I hope that we'll start to show over time on this population level that we are starting to make a dent in um, the childhood mental health problems. Yeah, I guess if um, if any um, mothers were listening to this podcast today, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, I think, you know, in general, I get asked a lot about, um, you know, what to do about mental health. And one of the main things that people ask me, parents ask me is, when should I get help? Um, no one really seems to know. They don't know, what, is this a normal part of childhood? Does every kid go through this? And I think when parents talk amongst themselves, there's really a general kind of overriding attitude that all kids are different. They'll all be fine in the end. And I think that can be both comforting and damaging because uh, a lot of people say, oh, my kid's not speaking, say, at age three. But everyone says sometimes kids talk later. Whereas a psychologist might say, or you know, anyone in child health might say, get their ears checked, you know, take them to the doctor, talk about these things. So um, often people say to me, I've got a very anxious child, but they're too young to go to a psychologist. And my message is they're never too young um, because the younger you are, it, it, you know, you go to a psychologist who is trained in young children and they will start supporting your child. So if they're anxious early on, that for a start, there's less stigma seeking mental health help for your children earlier on. And anxiety I use as an example because it's one of the main um, presenting problems with mental health for very young children. Um, and also that child, in addition to reducing the stigma of seeing a psychologist, they also get the tools early in life to be able to manage their anxiety in a really age appropriate way. But then as they grow older, they've got that sort of um, that toolbox there that they can always use to be able to manage their, um, their behavior. So I would generally say for parents with mental health, my, my main piece of advice is to seek help early um, and to, to really be aware of their child. Parents know their children better than anyone else. So, um, other people's stories about, yes, my kid had that, but it was all okay. I think um, sometimes you know when when it's time um, to seek help and going through the GP is the best first step. Yeah, well, thank you, yeah, for that advice. I'm sure that'd be really helpful for, for anyone who, who does have a child who is experiencing anxiety. So yeah, that would yeah. be really, yeah, helpful, I think. Um, I guess as you as you would know, Australian Rotary Health um, receives donations mainly from Rotarians um, to continue supporting mental health research. And um, you talked a bit before about the importance of targeting mental health in young people. 
But I guess mm. I'm just wondering from a researcher's point of view, um, could you talk about why a donation to research may be particularly helpful for helping to bring about positive change to youth mental health? Yeah. Look, research is just chronically underfunded in general. And so all of us as researchers are always sort of thinking about where the next project funding is going to come through, when the next salary funding is going to come through. So in general, child health research in particular um, is quite starved of funding. And so I feel like Australian Rotary Health really um, fills a gap and a real need there. But for mental health in particular, even sort of past child mental health in general struggles um, in terms of a research dollar, but mental health, as much as we talk a lot about mental health being a priority, and it's often in the news um, that we really care about mental health and we want to focus on mental health, it's still really, really hard to get mental health research funding. And so that, again, is where the um, Australian Rotary Health, that money is so valuable. And what you get then is that when there are schemes that are advertised um, by Australian Rotary Health for mental health funding, you do get a really, really good batch of projects and applicants apply because everyone is looking for more funding. It's not the, the case where there's so much funding going around that the best of the best are not going to apply. I think you're going to find that um, everyone, you get really, really good candidates and really good projects um, presented because we are all um, fairly desperate to, to get our projects funded um, and continuing to be funded. And it's, it is one of those areas where um, outcomes aren't immediate. And so that can be also sometimes difficult, a difficult sell to say that, you know, in two years, we're not going to necessarily have fixed something, but we will definitely hopefully have made at least some impact and have prepared that stage for the next um, part of research to come in. So it is so important. And I think just, I have such fond um, memories during my fellowship of, of going to different um, Rotary clubs and speaking and just being completely um, floored by the amount of time and effort that um, the Rotary volunteers put into fundraising and, and just felt like, you know, really honoured and flattered that it was my project that had um, attracted some of that funding because it's just, it's, um, yeah, people at the grassroots level really working hard to, um, to sort of go towards that outcome, which is just really humbling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right as well. We, we have so many applications that come through from so many, yeah, high quality applicants and just narrowing it down from, say, 400 to maybe 13 it's it's a big process and yeah yeah but at least the dollars are going towards the best projects which is yeah. really great yeah absolutely yeah we do have a research committee that kind of you know goes through each application very thoroughly and does this you know rating system on everything so yeah it's yeah. really um yeah a big process but yeah we do in the end yeah select the best ones so mm. yeah but it does really um yeah, really show that, yeah, more funding is needed in this area. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, yeah, it has been really great um, talking about your research today and I, I really appreciate you coming on to our podcast. Um, Thank you uh, for inviting me. And as I say, I owe, a real, I owe a debt of gratitude towards Australian Rotary Health because it was such an important um, yeah, moment for my career to be able to have that time that the fellowship gave me. So, um, yeah, it's certainly been... Um, just really wonderful to be part of the association. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Monique. And yeah, all the best with your future research as well. It's very Great. important. Thanks area. very much. Thank you.
That was the 38th episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Monique's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time. Thank you.